welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, February 25th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, a message titled, Heavenly Worship. We are going to uh, be going old school, and I'm this with my natural voice. You know I don't have a loud voice, but I will try this morning. And so if you need to move up closer to the front, I see there are, happen to be seats open right up here at front. <laughs> I, I wear two microphones here, and the other one actually records to the podcast. And so if you don't hear everything this morning, uh, I trust the other one is working, and you can go back and play it again and, and hear what the preacher said. But we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. We continue our survey of the book of Hebrews, which is a survey of Christ in heaven. And today's sermon is on heavenly worship. This is one of the applications to the fact that Christ is exalted in heaven doing what he's doing. Uh, He is changing worship here on the earth, and he is making it heavenly. And he is indeed someone to worship. And so I want to begin this morning just with a quick review of what we've seen all through the book of Hebrews to see who this is that we are worshiping. He is indeed someone to worship. In chapter 1, we see through the glimpse of heaven that we have there that Jesus is sitting on the throne of God. Verse 3 says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so no one is higher than Christ. No one deserves more glory than him. And from that exalted position, he's doing everything else that we read in the the book of Hebrews. Also in chapter 1, the second glimpse that we see in heaven of him is that he is the king of angels. And he is serving the needs of the saints. Verse 7 says... He makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Then verse 8 also, through the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So what do we see in heaven as we look through these windows? We see that he is also the king of angels. Angels that are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for you and me who are saved. So Christ is serving from heaven. A third glimpse that we see is in chapter 2, and that is that he is sanctifying the servants of God. Chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So thirdly, he is sanctifying us. A fourth glimpse that we see is in chapter 3 and chapter 4, and that is that he is satisfying the surrendered. The Bible here talks about a rest 
for the people of God. And in chapter 4, verse 8, it says, For if Joshua, in the Old Testament, if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So it's Jesus who brings us into that rest, and he is the one who satisfies our soul on a regular basis. Then also here in chapter 4, we see the fifth glimpse into heaven, and that is we see Jesus sympathizing with those who are suffering. Are you suffering in your life? Do you have difficulty? We all do. Jesus knows about it, and he feels it. And what's better than that is he's sending down help from the throne of grace for each one of us. Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a wonderful Savior we have. The sixth glimpse, sixth glimpse into heaven is in chapter 5, and that is that he is supplying sacrifices and gifts on our behalf. Verse 1 says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. In chapter 6, and chapter 7, and chapter 8, and chapter 9, all talk about the wonderful gifts and sacrifices that he's applying to your life and my life that has come from his sacrifice so that we may be right with God and we may know his blessing. The seventh and final glimpse is in chapter 7, and that is he is sacrificially interceding for the people of God. Verse 25, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to him Come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, who has become higher than the heavens. He is always standing there before the mercy seat of God, taking our prayers to, to the Father on our behalf. He's praying for you today. This is the wonderful Savior that we worship. And because of these things, because these things are true, because Jesus is up in heaven doing all these things, the book of Hebrews says we ought to be doing certain things in our life. And the first application we looked at last week, and that is we should be willing to accept and endure change. Because Jesus is up in heaven and he's changing everything. If you don't like change, then you're going to have a miserable time with the Lord because he's always changing things and he's changing things for the better. And so we need to accept and endure his change. And then the second word of application, which is what we've come to today in Hebrews chapter 10, and that is that we need to worship. We need to worship him in a heavenly way because he's in heaven for us. And we need to be down here on heaven for him. And as we look up, we see a Savior who's doing things for us that nobody else does for us. And what he does makes the biggest difference. And he does that faithfully day in and day out, week in and week out, all of our time here on this earth. And it tells us that as we spend our time on earth and we struggle and we have difficulty 
and we get sick and we grow doubtful and we get weak, through all of that, we can worship Him and we should. When we get to a difficult time in our life, the Hebrews were at a difficult time in their life. They were tempted to turn around, to leave, to go somewhere else. In the difficulties of our life, it is no time for us to wander away and to waver in our faith. It is the time to trust, to look up, and to worship our glorious Savior. And that's what chapter 10 is about. And in verses 19 through 25, we have wonderful ways that Jesus has changed worship to be heavenly for you and me. He has deepened it. He has expanded it. He, it, he has enhanced our experience of worship here on this earth to make it heavenly worship. The writer says in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. I want to share with you this morning from this text three ways that Christ has changed worship. And the first is that worship is no longer about a place, but about a person. You have notes there in the outline that's in the bulletin, and there are bank blanks to fill in. The first is worship is no longer about a place, but about a person. The Lord has transformed worship. In the Old Testament, it was about coming to a location. It was coming to an altar or coming to a tabernacle, or coming to the temple. But not everybody could get to those places. And as they went to those places, there was some limitation. But Jesus changed all of that. In the New Testament, we find that worship is not about coming to an address, but it's about Christ himself personally coming to your address, coming to your heart, wherever you are. And through your connection, your spiritual connection with Him, you can worship Him in a heavenly way. Christ has changed worship. Christ taught in John chapter 4 that this is how worship was going to be changed in the future days. Here Jesus is speaking to the woman on the, in the, at the well, and Jesus says in John 4, 21... He said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit 
and in truth. So Hebrews talks about us coming into the very presence of God in the very holiest of places, and that is only possible through our spiritual connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. As you come to Christ, you step on holy ground. You're on ground in which you can worship anywhere you are. Because where the Spirit of Christ is, there you have entrance into the very presence of God himself. And in his presence we must worship. This is what the opening verses are, are showing us. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. And so notice the requirements for worship. Worship is provided by the blood of Jesus through his flesh. So number one, the requirement to worship God is to, to know Jesus. You come by the blood through his flesh, through his body. It's through the blood and the body of Christ that we can have this privilege to worship him. And we don't have it any other way. You can come and sit on this church. You can be here, perfect attendance. You can be the one who's the first to, go, first to come and the last to leave. You can do everything here. But if you don't know Jesus, then you're not really worshiping him. In the Old Testament, to get to the temple, you had to come by way of the altar where there was a burnt sacrifice where the body and the blood of the sacrifice was all consumed. It was all taken. And that sacrifice is the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and me. We have to come that way. It's only through his blood and by, through his, his body that we can have standing in the presence of God and worship him. And so the saved can worship, and the saved should worship. But every once in a while, we'll have a time in which we come to the house of God and we say something like this. We may not say it out loud. We may not say it to anybody else. Thankfully, we, you don't say it to the preacher, maybe, all the time. But you say, that just didn't speak to me today. Worship was flat today. Well, I would say the pre reason why maybe that things didn't get to us and through us is that we did not connect with Jesus. You see, when we leave Jesus behind, we leave worship behind. And the only way to enter into worship is to enter into what Jesus has for us. And so when we come to God's house, we must come to a person, not a place. And see, that's where we get off track so often. We say, we're going to go to church and worship. It's more accurate to say, I'm going to go to church and bring my worship to the Lord. Because we're coming to a person, not a place. One day, this is just going to be a desolate spot in the road, or in the, in the wilderness, here, where we worship. Because one day, everything's going to be removed from the earth. But Jesus is going to be in heaven, shining bright. We're going to be in his presence Continuing to worship him. Worship is tied to a person. And it is a, the person of one that we come to. And this 
text here teaches us that as we come to a person, then it is a new and a living way, verse 20 says. So that means it's fresh and alive. The word new means fresh. It means inspiring. It means meaningful. And the word living means it's alive, that it has life, that it impacts our life. And so worship is the new and the living experience that Christ alone provides for us and as we connect with him and come into his presence and worship him, it is impactful. No matter how many are here, no matter how many are not here, no matter how we feel, no matter what we do, if we connect with Jesus, it's always a good time of worship. And that good time of worship we need vitally. God, in a time of worship like this, God pours into your life and my life his vitality. He pours himself into us. And in turn, in this time of worship, we look up to him and we open up our heart and our life and we lift up praise and honor to him. And so he's sharing his life with us and we're sharing our life with him. And we're the one who's blessed and he's the one who's glorified. And it changes us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are changed, we're transformed into the same image. So every time that we worship, God's pouring into our life and changing us, and we need a vital worship experience on a regular basis. How do we get that? We get it by coming to Jesus, not to a building, but to come to Jesus and you pour out your life to him, and you let him pour his into you, and it, there's something new, there's something uh, life-changing in that. And he begins to change our life in his presence. So number one, worship is no longer about a place, but it's about a person. So it's about presence. And then notice, secondly, it's also about nearness. Number two, worship is no longer from a distance, but has unlimited access. When we worship through Jesus, verse 19 tells us something amazing. It says that true worship brings you literally into the holy of holies before the Lord God Almighty. You literally are in his presence this morning. If you're worshiping through Jesus, you are in the presence, the holy of holies, before the Lord. Now in the Old Testament, there was a separation. There was a distance. The worshipers could not get past the altar. They came to the altar, but then the sacrifice from their life that they identified with, which was really a sacrifice from the Lord, that's what went into the temple with the priest. And it was the priest alone who would go into the temple. And it was the high priest alone who would go only once a year into the very Holy of Holies and take what the people had offered. And so there was distance in the Old Testament. There was limitation to worship in the Old Testament. They couldn't get near to the presence of God. They would get as close as they could, but they couldn't get right there in his presence. There was separation. 
Even today, there are people in the Holy Land that are lined up at the Western Wall. They call it the Wailing Wall. We've seen this on the news. Why do they gather right there? It's because the Western Wall was the wall closest to the Holy of Holies. On the other side of the Western Wall was this Holy of Holies in the temple of God. And so this wall is the only thing remaining of the old temple. And it's the closest to the Holy of Holies. And that's why they gather there and they stand there and they pray like they do. And they put their prayers on little pieces of parchment and they put it in the wall because they're trying to get close to God. But Jesus has provided the way for you and me to get into his very presence. And the only way you can get into his presence is through a personal relationship with Christ, right fellowship with him. As you walk in the light, as he's in the light, then you come into unlimited access to the presence of God. Let me explain how this works. Because literally, physically, you're still here. Jesus is in heaven. But it's through your spirit that you are connected with him. See? And through your spirit, your spirit's in heaven because it's one with Jesus. And that's the part that's in the presence of God. And that's the very real part of you. God has made you to have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Three different parts the Bible talks about, and each one of them functions in a different way. Your body is like your earthly spacesuit that allows you to move and to breathe and to experience life here on, on planet Earth. And your soul is that inside part of you that controls your body. Your soul is the part that consists of your thoughts, your feelings, and your decisions. So it's mind, will, and emotions. So it's a part of you that feels sad or glad. It's a part of you that decides what, what you're going to wear to church this morning when you got up. It's the part of you that decided uh, uh, where you're going to go to eat supper or dinner uh, after uh, church today. It's the decision-making part of your, of your soul your inner being and it controls your body but then your spirit the third part of you is intended by God to control everything else because your spirit is the part of you that is one with Christ's spirit Jesus said that we are one with him and through that oneness he says just as the father was in him Jesus is in us, and now we are in them. And we all have this oneness. Where does that happen? It doesn't happen in our, in our bodies. It happens in our spirits, which is in our body. And as we have oneness through the Spirit with Jesus, then we have the privilege to come in unlimited access into the very Holy of Holies. That's where Jesus is. He's right there. His spirit's there. If our spirit's with him, our spirit's there. Anytime we look up and we just stop, it doesn't matter if we're here or if we're at home or if we're on the other side of the world, we can stop and open our heart and through our spirit we can worship the Lord. And that's the unlimited access that he intends. If we're a person that's only controlled by our body, then we are a carnal person. The Bible warns us against that. If we are a person that's controlled just by our soul, then we are a self-centered person. 
We're all wrapped up in our thoughts, our feelings, our plans. And that's all that we talk about and that's all we put in front of other people. That's all that we go after. But God intends us to be better, to be different. He intends us to be like Him. He intends us to be Spirit-controlled people. If you're led by the Spirit, then the Bible says you are a godly person. You are a holy person. And you are a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God intends for us to to operate. It's to be led by our spirit. If we're led by our spirit, then we're going to be telling our soul what to do, that we need to put God first in our mind, our heart, in our feelings, in every part of us, and then our soul in turn will tell our body to get in gear, and we're going to go to church, we're going to worship God, and we're going to do what we should do. See, that's how it's intended to work, not the other way around. And so as we are connected spiritually with the Lord. We worship in spirit and in truth according to the truths of God's word. Then we have unlimited access, boldness to enter into the very holy of holies. And this privilege of worship verse 21 teaches us we have all the time. True worship lasts as long as Jesus lives. Notice That verse 21 says that we are having a high priest over the house of God. That word is there because it's in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness. And so the word there is a present tense verb that has continuous action. We are continually having this privilege to enter into the holiest. Why? Because we are continually having a high priest, Jesus, over the house of God. He's always there to bring us into the presence of God. And so we need to worship. We always need to be in this mindset. No matter what's coming or going, no matter what's changing in our life, no matter how weak we feel, we always have this privilege to come and to worship Him And we should, unless we're providentially hindered in some way. Because this is the greatest privilege of our life. This is what changes us week in and week out as the Lord works in our lives. And then this leads us to the third way that Christ has changed worship. And that is, worship is no longer about rules, but is about Relationship. So worship is about presence, it's about nearness, it's about faithfulness, it's about the Lord's faithfulness. Worship, number one, is centered in our relationship with our faithful Lord. Notice what the text says again. It talks about this boldness to enter and this assurance that we have, verse 22 talks about. And all of this is based, in verse 23, upon the faithfulness of the one who has promised us life and life more abundant. And so the worshipers of the Old Testament, all they knew was rules. It was all about rules to them. As a result, they got kicked out of the temple on a regular basis of even being able to come and offer the sacrifices. There are all kinds of rules that disqualified them to come and worship. And you can go back to the Old Testament and look at them in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus. 
For example, if uh, you were a Gentile, according to Deuteronomy, you could not come into the temple. If you were a eunuch or you were born out of wedlock, you could not come into the temple. Leviticus went further and it said all harlots were not allowed to come to the temple. Neither were homosexual men. And then beyond that, there were various ways that you could defile yourself. Those who had leprosy, Leviticus chapter 13, were not allowed in. Those who were in contact with the dead could not come in. So if you went to a funeral or your loved one died and you were in the room with them, you could not come into the temple except for a certain amount of time. And there were many other ways that a person could defile themselves that's laid out there. And if you were defiled in any of these ways, then temporarily you were kicked out of the temple because it was based on rules. But Christ came in a better way. And when he came, it was based on relationship, his relationship, not rules that, that we could follow that we have to follow here on this earth. You notice in the text, there's not a big list of rules, but it's about the faithfulness of the one who has promised. So this word boldness, it means openness. It means freedom. It means you have the freedom to come and to worship and to say and to do whatever you decide to do. But here's the context, is that your spirit must be led by Christ's spirit. And when you come to a worship time, you have freedom, but you don't have the freedom to do everything you want to do. You have the freedom to do what Christ wants you to do. And so how do you come to worship? You come in a way the Lord leads you to come. And there's no longer all these rules in which we can be kicked out based upon how we look or what we've done or what's happened in the past week. Through the blood of Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, all that is covered, and we can come in boldness and in freedom, but we come in full assurance of faith, verse 22 says. So we're coming as those who are coming to worship our faithful Lord. And when it says we come with a true heart, that means we come with a heart that's focused on honoring him. Come in a way that's true with who he is. And so we don't just come in this place in <clears throat> just any way that we want to come and it dishonors him. And so, for example, <clears throat> if you come in here and you, and you want to just uh, come up here to the front and just do your own thing and it's different than everybody else is doing and you distract from what everybody else is trying to do, then that's not true in honoring to the Lord because you're going to take everybody's focus and attention on you away from the Lord. So based on our relationship with him, there are certain things that we do and certain things we don't do. Some people sometimes ask me as a pastor, Pastor, what do you think about this in worship? What do you think about this song? What do you think about this method of worship? What do you think about this and that? And my answer is always, you need to ask the Lord about that. That's what I do. I ask him what does he think is appropriate. What does he think is right in his presence? What is honoring to him? And if you have a relationship with him, then you will know what that honorable thing is. Even if it's questionable things after a time, as you walk with him, given enough time, you'll begin to see and know what he blesses and what he doesn't. 
And so if you ever have a question about, should I come to church? Should I do this? Should I do not do that? Ask the Lord what he would have you to do. If you're providentially hindered from church, you're sick, you have a, the flu, we don't want you here. Okay? There's common sense uh, issues that we can settle really quick. But if you're wondering, should I do this? Should I not do that? In my worship time, then you need to simply ask the Lord. He is the one that our worship is centered in. And it's all about a relationship with Him. When you come to worship, actually you're coming to an audience of one. A lot of times we think, you know, the audience is who's out in the seats. And we say, how many were at church today? How, how big of an audience did we have? And we put a number to it. But that's not the, the case. That's not the reality when we worship the Lord. The reality is, He is our audience. And all those are in the seats, and all those are up on the platform. We are all the worshipers. And we're directing our worship up to Him. And we always come to an audience of one whenever we come to church. Because our worship is centered in our relationship with him who is faithful. But it's not just about that relationship. The last thing we need to notice here from the text is that worship also is about cultivating a relationship with fellow believers. Verse 24 and 25 is about the congregational aspect of worship. Verse 23 is about the personal aspect. There's a personal dimension to worship. It's just you and him. But then there's a congregational aspect of worship, and that is you and him and everybody else that's with him. And there are some things that can only be accomplished at the congregational level in worship that we all need. What are those things? The verse the verses here tell us. Verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love. And good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What's the day? The day is, I believe, the day that when not only your spirit is in the presence of the Lord, but when your soul and your body is as well. That's the day we're looking forward to. When all parts of us are redeemed completely. God's salvation is complete. And we stand before him and we see him face to face. That's the day we're looking forward to. Every time we worship. And until that day, we are to meet congregationally to stir up love and good works. And so as we meet with the Lord personally and we focus on him, he fills our life, imparts into our life love and good works. And as you are here with other people doing the same thing, it encourages them in a greater way to love and to do good works. If we all came by ourselves and we all took turns, you know, all day long, we all filed in here one at a time to spend time with the Lord and worship, we could worship Him, but there were some things in our life that would be missing. Because God is in you as well through Jesus. And I need to see him in you. And you need to see him in me. And as we hear one another sing, and we hear one another play music, and we see one another give and, and worship the Lord, 
it stirs us up to do it more and to be more faithful in our walk with the Lord. And when we stumble and when we grow weak and when we get up and we simply say, I don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like worshiping. When we get up and we come and we gather here and then someone else says, how are you doing? And instead of lying about it, we tell the truth. They stop and they say, I am so sorry. I'm going to pray for you. And maybe they stop and they pray for you. It strengthens you. And it encourages you to keep going. And to continue serving the Lord. That's why we need to come together as we worship. There's a congregational aspect to it. And I believe that... Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.